0: Resources are critical to the ability to deliver effective, timely, high-quality care. But resources are not always as available and accessible to rural hospitals and health care providers than to our urban and suburban counterparts. So, how do we do more with less to get the job done?
1: With creative partnerships, open minds, and clever approaches to challenges.
0: I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm JJ Hodshire,
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to episode 11 of Rural Health Rising. I'm JJ Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development.
1: So, today, Rachel, we're talking about resourcefulness in rural healthcare, how rural hospitals and healthcare providers get creative to get things done, since we don't always have the same access or advantages that other healthcare entities do.
0: That's right. So today we're joined by someone who has a real understanding of the challenges rural hospitals face and has worked directly with so many of us witnessing firsthand the ingenuity employed to solve problems and put patients first.
1: Our guest today is John Supplett, Senior Director of Field Engagement for Rural Health Services at the American Hospital Association. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, John.
2: Well, JJ and Rachel, thank you for having me.
0: John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and rural health services at the American Hospital Association?
2: I will and I'll keep it concise. I have been here as the Senior Director for Rural Health Services for almost 30 years now, which is quite a run when you think about it. I had the opportunity to meet a lot of great people along, along the way and um, it's been my pleasure and privilege to be the rural health guy at AHA. We have eighteen hundred and fifty rural hospital members uh, as part of my segment for rural health services, and over a thousand critical access hospitals include included in that number. And our goal is to identify, develop, and advance those unique healthcare interest issues and perspectives that characterize rural healthcare providers. So I have had the opportunity to develop some member services, and I staff a leadership council. We have communications, including our website and newsletters and technical advisories. We develop podcasts and, and uh, videos, and I've had a chance to serve on national panels and advisory groups for the development of national rural health policy, and all of, over the course of those 30 years. So it's been a, a, a really great privilege, and we've gotten a lot of work done there.
1: So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Uh, we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. So, John, you know, what is your why? What what motivates you and what gets you out of the bed in the morning to do what you do and now for three decades?
2: Yeah. Well, JJ, thanks. And um, let me let me share my answer in a slightly different way than what you might expect or others might say. And what I want to do is share with you a sentiment that I gave to friends in a greeting card uh, celebrating the beginning of the new year. And I think it uh, will help you understand my motivation. And it goes like this. My, the changes we have endured, you much more so than I. Our lives disrupted by circumstances far beyond our control. Yet we manage our way toward a better tomorrow. If change is our only constant, then cheers to an extraordinary 2021. So why share this? Well, it is my motivation, JJ, that as it's supporting rural leaders in rural hospitals across America, deliver care to families, friends and neighbors while demonstrating an extraordinary resilience and resourcefulness and compassion under the most challenging of circumstances. And I am honored to be a part of this in my ministry of health through the American Hospital Association.
1: Rachel, we have done twelve episodes now, and I'm going to tell you that's probably the most heartfelt that I have heard uh, in our podcast.
0: I'm not going to lie; when you said if changes are only constant, cheers to a great 2021! I got chills a little bit. I was like, that is what we all need to hear right now.
2: You had me at if. And I I want (laughs) to
0: say
2: I I did that, you know, before the holiday, and who knew it was coming already? So. Right. But it's true, JJ and Rachel, I think um, when we look at who we are and how we manage and deliver care in rural communities, it is a ministry of care. It, 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 it is our passion in, in many ways uh, because we are so close to our, our customers, our families, friends and neighbors who are so dependent upon us for the care that they receive.
1: John, to your point, uh, we had the opportunity here recently to engage in community clinics for our COVID 19 vaccinations. And I'm going to tell you uh, to see the, um, the, the glee, the jubilee, the cheer, uh, the heartfelt thanks from our community, and in the variety of tears that we were able to administer the vaccine, really strikes to the point that you raised um, the ministry the opportunity to look in their eyes. Uh, we had several tearful individuals who came up to us and said this is a game changer for us. We can see our grandkids, we can teach, we can open our business. And I went home that night and you know because it was just a regular day for us, right? We're just doing what we do and I thought to myself, wow this is a ministry. What we're doing here is changing lives every day, not only giving the care that we give, but also these types of situations when we're administering public health clinics. It's it's truly to the heart of the people of our community and to the communities that you work with, John, every day. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It, it is very much so. And, you know, we have to put this in context. We've been at this for almost a year. The first case, was January 31st in Kirkland, Washington. That's, you know, that's just a couple weeks away from from when we're speaking now. And when you think about the surge that happened around Mardi Gras and then the the national uh, public health emergency that was announced on the 13th of March and really how all of us sort of closed down on that St. Patrick's Day weekend on March 17th, that is a long slog. And and uh, we've learned a lot about ourselves and our communities in that process. And the thing that we've learned about rural is that we continue to be the source of innovation with scarce resources.
1: Yes, we do. Great point. Well, so, John, let's segue into that. You work with a variety of rural hospitals and healthcare providers across the United States. And so you've probably seen or, as we would say, uh, heard it all. Uh, right. So tell us a little bit about the type of work you do with rural hospitals and what those relationships look like.
2: Well, I've heard a lot. I don't think I've heard it all. I think um, there's more more to the story and that we're going to be learning and growing along the way. It's been a real fascinating year for us and for me and personally because of my ability to work with and reach out to our rural CEO colleagues across the country and hear from them, their stories of innovation and resilience and resourcefulness. And being able to capture those in case examples and best practices and then share those with our colleagues across the country so that we can live and learn and grow from one another as we transfer this knowledge from one to the, to the next. And I've got a, you know, a dozen or more uh, myself and others have, have uh, compiled compendiums of, of these examples as well from which we can draw and and if we go back to the very beginning when the surge first started back in in February and the dearth of PPE and and the the, um, need for ventilators and to have uh, reverse flow rooms and all the changes that had to happen immediately once the surge hit our rural communities, how quickly the community responded to that need. Yes. The hospital is the hub and the leadership often comes from the community hospital itself, working in collaboration with public health, community health, and other leaders across the community. Uh, but what we saw in terms of the communities rallying to create PPE and the extraordinary uh, uh, response uh, from businesses and quilting guilds and uh, sewing guilds to create PPEs, keep our our staff safe. Um, The resourcefulness of the hospital engineers to renovate and retool ventilators, to bring them up to code and speed uh, in a time of crisis. The way they were able to reverse airflow in rooms to keep patients safe and and, uh, Uh, Quarantined during the crisis back in February was extraordinary because we didn't have the resources other than our own faculties to be able to accomplish that.
0: So, John, after getting to know you a little bit and even just hearing your answer to that first uh, question from JJ, I know one of the things that you most appreciate about the rural healthcare folks that you work with is their resourcefulness and resilience. So, what stands out to you when you think of the ways rural health organizations demonstrate those things? I know you already gave us a couple examples specific to COVID, um, but even from the bigger picture, what what do you think of when you think about the resourcefulness of, of rural hospitals and healthcare providers?
2: Well, Rachel, let me let me share some of those examples with you in, in the form of the case examples we were pulling together. And as I will say, uh, the resourcefulness and resilience and innovation of rural hospitals have has always been there. COVID accelerated and catalyzed that experience exponentially. And so what we saw and what I'll draw from are examples from COVID, but the truth is, is that this resourcefulness and innovation has always been characteristic of the way in which rural communities and rural hospital leaders provide care. Um, you know, early on, we saw a lot of innovation and ingenuity with respect to testing and how hospitals had de- designed and devised drive-through sites for rapid tests in their communities, so that they could begin to measure the extent to which. Uh, the surge was affecting them. And, of course, those were replicated across the country very rapidly. But, you know, they began some with some very humble origins in places like Dixon, Illinois, at Catherine Bethia uh, Shaw Hospital. I think another great example uh, of of a case study comes from Wilson Medical Center in Neodosha, Kansas, and Dennis Shelby, where they developed what I call a consumer conscious approach to testing and caring for patients in the community through mobile lab and uh, outside clinic visits and drive-through clinic visits. And I found uh, that to be a very quick response to a, a, a very strenuous circumstances Um, Time and again, communication has always served as a real high priority and the ways in which our rural communities have been able to establish uh, um, YouTube video channels to communicate with their communities, daily uh, communications uh, podcasts within their their internal uh, staff in order to be able to keep them up to date on what was happening. Especially early on, again, remembering at the at the moment of the beginning of the surge, how critically important communication was, because how little we knew about the nature of the virus. You know, as we have you know moved through this experience, and we begin to experience the fatigue and uh, um, the stress and the strain on our staffs. I think some of the e- examples that we draw from rural communities. Uh, come from places like Cody, Wyoming, which established a uh, wellness pod to nurture their healthcare workers. And what this area includes is a meditation room, bedrooms, laundry and shower facilities, on-site access to licensed therapists, games, and an exercise area, in order to provide an environment that was uh, curing and healing and and soothing for the hardworking staff who had been working just extraordinary hours in order to keep the community safe. These are just just scraping the surface of examples that are out there that were accelerated through the COVID experience, but certainly are not limited to that.
0: So that brings me to a question for you, JJ. We know that for us here in Hillsdale, part of being resourceful includes working creatively with our community partners. And we recently had an opportunity to do that when it comes to COVID-19 vaccinations, right? So tell us that story. What happened? How did it happen? And what does that mean for our community?
1: Well, Rachel, it certainly has been a journey. And as Jana shared, uh, we're in this uh, together. And when communities come together, uh, you know, you pull your resources and for the greater good of our community. And we've watched that happen here in the heart of Hillsdale. We've had the opportunity to work closely with Hillsdale College and Hillsdale College uh, offered us early on uh, in the process of uh, learning about the vaccination and the needs for storing that vaccination about the requirement for an ultra low temperature freezer. Uh, My colleagues, across the state who are in small rural hospitals didn't have access to that. So we're applying for different types of vaccine, right? Moderna and others. Uh, and we were able to secure this uh, device, this storage device for the ultra-low temperature freezer uh, through the college partnership that we have. And we're able we're able to bring uh, here to Hillsdale 1,950 vaccinations well in advance of some other communities receiving those. And so uh, that partnership proved to be effective because we were able to quickly get our tier one, a, uh, staff, hospital employees, as well as healthcare workers throughout our continuum here in Hillsdale vaccinated very quickly. Uh, and then we were able to take those vaccinations that remained uh, and implement them in a very quick manner for one B, uh, that's the uh, essential workers in that population. And so I'm pleased to report that within just a very few weeks of getting the vaccination, Rachel, uh, we were able to vaccinate our school teachers K through 12 other essential workers, uh, healthcare workers from dentistry, uh, to chiropractors, and the list goes on and on of those that we were able to partner with. But uh, the strength of that is the relationships that we have in these rural communities with our partners. And we're not islands. And one of the things that I think we we hear that gets lost in the big systems is, you know, we just don't know who our partners are. And I've heard that as we've interviewed individuals before. But in rural Hillsdale County, we have to know who our partners are. In fact, we are interacting with each other each and every day. And uh, their board members serve on our board. And I a partnership in the college, and so uh, we have that reciprocal agreement. But one of the things that we have spoken about before on this program is we're not independent. We're interdependent. And our independence is and has been important for the hospital in the sense of, you know, we are a rural community hospital that is functioning outside of a system. That's uh, the definition of independent for Hillsdale. But we're interdependent in that we count on the resources from – The college from Michigan Hospital Association and from John at the American Hospital Association and those partners who provide us a plethora of information and uh, best practices and trends. And I'm getting continuous emails uh, from the American Hospital Association, Michigan Hospital Association. These hospital associations help us every day uh, to know what we are facing in the future and let alone the advocacy work that they do in Washington and in Lansing and places uh, like that to ensure that small. Rural hospitals and their voice is heard, and that's very critical. So our partnerships have never been stronger, and COVID nineteen has taught us the lesson that we have to work together. Um, and and when we look at it beyond the walls of the hospital, Rachel, uh, we you know we weren't necessarily uh, close or affiliated with a lot of our clinics in the community because we had our clinics, they had their clinics, and while we were still small, we didn't have that intimacy. Uh, we do now. We have served as the voice. We have served as the advocate uh, for those smaller agencies and health departments. And uh, the list goes on of the things that we have done uh, to ensure that we've brought them into the fold and we've kept them informed. And we've been very successful in doing that. Whether it's our podcast, radio programs, we have truly served, as John indicated, uh, as the leaders, you know, in serving that role and ensure that this information gets pushed out to our partners.
0: So... I don't want you to be too modest here, but essentially before we knew that we had access to this ultra low temperature freezer through the college, which would allow us to receive the Pfizer vaccine – We had been given a number of how many Moderna vaccines we were going to be given, and I think it was what, like a quarter Mm -hmm. of what we ended up receiving because we were able to receive the Pfizer vaccine only due to that partnership. So if we didn't have that partnership and that relationship with our community, we may not have been able to do anything but vaccinate our own employees initially, I shudder to think
1: about what that could have been, and I was on a phone call Uh, recently with a group of rural CEOs who received the Moderna vaccination allotments, and they were low numbers. Um, And we were very fortunate to get nearly 2,000 vaccinations uh, for our community and additional that are coming in as a result of that partnership. Had that partnership not existed, we would not have been able to do that.
0: So really it's helping to save lives earlier and faster in in our community, which is great.
1: That said, John, I know you have to have some great stories from the rural uh, partners that you've worked with. Uh, do you have any favorite examples of what you've seen rural hospitals and healthcare providers do to make something big happen when it looked like it wouldn't or shouldn't even be possible?
2: Yeah, JJ, I would say that I've shared some of those examples with you. I think the ones that stand out most to me are the ways in which the community came uh to support the hospital in developing PPE uh, and and the mechanisms and materials that they used in order to cobble together what was necessary in order to keep staff safe, um, the way that they were able to coordinate their efforts through any of a number of voluntary uh, organizations to achieve that. I think another really neat case example I had was how Southern Humboldt Community Hospital and Jared Phelps Hospital in Sunbelt County was able to work with community partners to reach out to seniors who were housebound across a very rural, almost uh, frontier area. And they did that by coordinating communications and even working through Meals for Wheels and and, um, even the post office in order to secure groceries and medicine, and run errands for folks who could not and were, should not uh, be leaving their homes at a time in which the surge and the pandemic was exploding in Garberville. Those, again, are all examples of how communities are working together in order to achieve their common goal, which is to keep people safe and healthy um you brought up vaccinations and had an interesting conversation cuz now we're all the way on the opposite end of our of our our journey here through through covid and we have a conference coming up on february 17th and 18th a rural leadership conference and one of those sessions will be called inoculating rural america what covid 19 has taught us And again, it's an experience that is very different depending upon where you live, but all of it comes back to a common theme, and that's the resourcefulness of the providers combined with the community collaboration.
1: So part of your work includes advocacy and policy development. So can you tell us more specifically about that work? In other words, what have you been able to accomplish with rural hospitals and the impact that you've seen as a result of that?
2: Sure, JJ, I'd be glad to. Uh, I have the privilege of working with some extraordinary people in Washington, DC, who really lead our advocacy and policy efforts. Um, uh, We have a dedicated lobbyist and a dedicated uh, policy analyst and and regulatory expert for rural who really lead the way. And I, I support them in that effort and make sure that we're communicating what it is that we're doing to the field and conversely taking what we're hearing from the field and working it into our advocacy and policy agendas so that we're all on the same page. And I think what we saw in the Consolidated Appropriations Act that came out in December 22nd was uh, uh, some extraordinary wins from those policy and advocacy efforts. Um, Everything from extending the uh, uh, emergency waivers under the public health emergency that really proved to be very beneficial for rural providers by eliminating administrative burden and allowing them to uh, have their caregivers practice at the top of their license, to uh, the wins that we had with respect to um, other legislative initiatives uh, for direct supervision, the 96-hour rule, uh, and introducing a new model of payment and delivery in the form of the rural emergency hospital. These are among the many wins that we had uh, over the course of the past Congress and upon which we can continue to build as we move into this next Congress.
0: So before we close, John, I want to uh, kind of take this to the big picture. And, um, you know, a big reason of why we started this podcast was in advocating for rural hospitals and health care providers, knowing the unique challenges that we face. So I want to make the point here that while rural hospitals and healthcare providers certainly are very resourceful and resilient, we've talked about lots of examples of that. We've seen that ourselves. We've had opportunities to do that here in Hillsdale. It's often out of necessity because of the environment in which we operate, the current structure of healthcare in America. So we are in many ways sometimes at a disadvantage because we are small, just because of size, the number of patients we have, the um, you know the economy of our local communities. So from your perspective viewing and working with rural health care providers on a national level, do you think that will change? Will there come a time when we can be resourceful because we're good at it and not because we have no other choice?
2: Well, it's both. We're good at it and we may not have as many choices, but it's what makes us special. I have to be honest in that, you know, over the past couple years rural health care and the visibility of rural health care providers has risen to a very high level and when our stories are being picked up in major media such as the wall street journal and the new york times the abc news uh nightline and the and the morning shows you know you really are the grab the attention of the united states and i think that we've seen that most definitely over the course of the past year uh i think we will always be the underdog and i i I love that it it just makes me work that much harder but on the but uh i i do believe that we have great support from our our congress and our administration for the needs that are important for us because of the people who we are and who we serve well
1: john once again we want to thank you for joining us today the work that you're doing is uh, incredible Um, I also want to say that the work that you are doing is saving lives, and while uh, you may not put on a pair of scrubs every day, John, the work that you're doing and advocacy and Uh, in providing those resources to rural hospitals like mine, Hillsdale Hospital, is truly, truly changing lives. And I want to thank you for your time today. But uh, greater than that, I want to thank you for the work that you've done for 30 years in providing the services to rural communities, where oftentimes uh, it is hard for us to have a voice uh, in places in Washington or even in our state capital. So thank you for your commitment to rural health. Thank you for your commitment to our communities.
2: Well JJ, thank you very much and, and I'm honored to be a small part of this uh, this ministry of health and let me leave you with this final thought. My the changes we've endured, you, much more so than I, Our lives disrupted by circumstances far beyond our control. Yet we manage our way toward a better tomorrow. And if change is the only constant, then cheers to an extraordinary 2021. Thanks for having me.
1: And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Today, we have a story from Shay and Emily Dow. It's a remarkable story because right at the beginning of COVID-19, they came to Hillsdale Hospital for the delivery of their first child. Here is their story.
3: Dear Miss Lott, it is with great pleasure that we write this letter to recognize the exceptional care we received at Hillsdale Hospital during the arrival of our first baby, Dylan Marie. Our little girl arrived at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, adding additional stress to our already nervous minds and forcing us to welcome the arrival of our firstborn without the love and support of our family members. From the moment we arrived at the hospital COVID tent, until the moment we left with our little girl, Hillsdale Hospital staff made our labor process a positive experience, offering exceptional and compassionate care. We would specifically like to highlight the care received from the amazing medical and nursing staff. Dr. Sinisco and midwife Rachel consistently checked on us during the labor process to ensure we were educated on all of our options and as comfortable as possible. The nursing staff on the OB unit provided outstanding medical care, in addition to becoming like the loving family members we were missing. As first-time parents, the laboring process was a bit scary and overwhelming. The nurses worked with us every step of the way, honoring our birth plan while offering support and ideas to progress through labor. They provided this care with a positive attitude and smile, even in the midst of undergoing changes in their jobs due to the pandemic. Our little bundle of joy was a bit stubborn and waited until the evening to make her presence known. Showing great dedication, our day shift nurses, Jennifer and Hillary, stayed after their shift ended to help welcome Dylan into the world. Our friend and charge nurse, Brittany, provided additional care throughout the day and evening, often checking in on us while managing her other job duties. In many ways, Brittany took the place of having our mothers there to hold our hands and provide the support and encouragement needed to make it through the day. Finally, our night shift nurse, Olivia, was such a calming presence in the middle of the night as she helped us manage our new roles as mom and dad. Our exceptional care did not end after Dylan's arrival. Dr. Ellis was present the morning after Dylan's birth to complete Dylan's wellness check and offer support to us as first-time parents. Dr. Sinisco also provided follow-up care to ensure mom's safe recovery. As time progressed, we regularly sought feeding advice from the unit's lactation consultant, April, and received ongoing exceptional care from Dr. Ellis as Dylan's pediatrician. Words cannot adequately express just how much we appreciate every single professional who assisted with Dylan's arrival and offered care and support in the weeks following. We thank Hillsdale Hospital for investing the time, money, and energy into ensuring the OBGYN unit has the resources to provide exceptional medical care for the families in our community. We feel blessed to be raising our daughter with the benefits of a small town, while also knowing that she has access to quality medical care. Well done Hillsdale Hospital. We thank you. Please take the time to give a kudos to the staff members mentioned above as they deserve recognition for being healthcare heroes. Sincerely, Shay and Emily Dow.
0: What a great story and what a great testament to the excellent care that our team has been able to provide even in the midst of the challenges that they face in their own roles during the COVID-19 era. So big thanks to Shay and Emily for sharing that story.
1: Before we close, John, we'd like to do a fun segment that we do with all of our guests. So uh, we want to know, what is your most unique rule experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life?
2: That goes way, way back, JJ. I was the uh, project director for the Swing Bed Project, which was a public-private demonstration between Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, CMS, which was then HICFA, and AHA. And I I was just cutting my teeth coming out of graduate school with a master's in uh, public administration from New York University. So here I'm coming from New York City, now participating in the rural demonstration program for swing beds. And we're and we're putting together a guide on how to implement swing beds using the rule makes within the rules and also using some innovations that were out in the field, given this new method of care and so we were barnstorming we were literally going out to the field and driving through the communities and going from one to the next and i will always remember staying in a small motel someplace in northwest kansas with a case of 3.2 beer waiting for the meeting for tomorrow and i'll just leave it at that we bonded very well and had a great time and got to know each other better And long story short, we're still using swing beds today.
1: Thank you again for joining us today, John. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk more about rural health policy and the state of rural health in America. Our guest for that episode runs one of the most prominent rural health research centers in the nation. So be sure to tune in.
0: And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269 447 1265 and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. Again, that number is area code two six nine four four seven one two six five, or you can send an email to marketing at And
1: with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe. Stay healthy and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, John Suplitt, Senior Director of Field Engagement for Rural Health Services at the American Hospital Association. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.